everyone. Happy New Year and welcome back to another episode of Roots to STEM, a show where we talk to scientists about the paths they've taken to get where they are today and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Steph Cady. In today's episode, we're talking with Nixon Adows, who is a PhD student in social and behavioral sciences at Virginia Commonwealth University. Nixon's research focuses on how social determinants of health, so think things like housing, education, local politics, how those things can influence health outcomes. And it's clear from talking to him that he's extremely passionate about his work and about using his research and his career to improve the lives of communities in the U.S. One of the things that I especially love about this episode, because this is the idea that this whole show is based on, is that Nixon talks about how hearing from people farther along in their careers about their trajectories was really helpful for him as he was figuring out his next steps. And that in turn, he wants to be able to share his story in order to pay it forward. And I have the absolute pleasure of being able to help share that story with you today. So now, please join me in welcoming Nixon to the show. All right. Hi, Nixon. Thanks so much for being here on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, of course. So let's start out with the basics. Can you tell me who you are, what you do right now, um, and where you're from? Yes, um, my name is Nixon Arauz. I am from Honduras, Central America, originally, uh, but I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 years old. Um, And I lived in New York City for um, those years of early teens. And and now I currently reside in uh, the state of Virginia, where I am pursuing a Ph.D. in social and behavioral sciences at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. So can you tell me a little bit more about the research that you're doing for your PhD? So uh, for my PhD, I am currently pursuing an understanding um, HPV-related cancers uh, among Hispanic Latino populations nationally, uh, and would like to understand a little bit more about um, perceptions, beliefs about uh, HPV vaccine um, in this population, uh, because I believe that uh, nobody should be dying of HPV-related cancers if we have a, a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that uh, education, educating people about the HPV vaccine can be a really good um, path forward to increasing vaccination rate, um, specifically in this population. Um, and, and I think, yeah, education is, is very important for this population. So what does your research actually look like? Like, what does a day look like for you? Are you talking to patients? Are you looking at medical records? Like, what, what does it look like for you? So um, for me, I am a huge believer uh, of community-engaged research um, and being part of the community, uh, the local community. So from the time I arrived to Richmond uh, to start my PhD, I've been engaged with local communities, um, specifically with um, a resource center that is run by the local health department, um, where that, that service that services a lot of people from from this background Um, and i think that my years of involvement in this population while i was conducting uh, doing a lot of my deductive coursework 
I will, I began to like uh, start asking these types of conversation, uh, these types of questions to to people that worked um, at the resource center. Um, more specific questions related to people's uh, access to care, trying to understand the barriers to to care, to receiving care. Um, so right now, I will say that my day to day is pretty much being involved in the community um, before I actually get started with uh, my data collection mm -hmm. um, portion of my studies. And hopefully having developed those relationships with uh, members of the community can perhaps expedite that process for me when I, when I get started. But more importantly, um, that relationship with the community um, has been the most important part of this entire educational process for me mm -hmm. um, because they're at the center of it and and i am not doing it to be an extractivist mm -hmm. i am doing it to uh, to have a better understanding um, and and be more, more helpful once I, I get started with with that portion of my work yeah so, so it sounds like the structure of your PhD is, is different than mine. So I'm curious if you could just talk about it. Like, did you have a couple of years of just dedicated classwork and then sort of like writing a proposal for your research and then you transition to like doing the research or how does it look like for you? Yes, pretty much that that's 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 the process that we're taking. We take here uh, with okay. the program. Um, we start with a lot of uh, with coursework um, and then we move into the phase of um, comprehensive comprehensive examinations. Um, and then after that process, um, you're able to defend, to write your proposal, defend it, and then do your data for your primary data collection, um, do your analysis, write your papers, um, and then defend them, mm -hmm. and then graduate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm just curious, like for me, when I'm doing data collection as like a bio PhD, right? I'm like at the bench, pipeheading liquids around or whatever. Um, but I also worked doing healthcare policy research. And that was more like using Medicare data to look at, you know, how different policies influence death rates and things like that. So I guess for you, I'm curious, like, are you going to be talking to patients or you, like and doing qualitative like survey type things? Are you going to be talking to providers? Um, yeah, because most of the people that I've had on the podcast so far have been biologists or engineers. Mm -hmm. And so I think just talking about like, you know, as nitty gritty as it seems and sort of potentially trivial to you, you're like, oh, obviously this is what I do. I think yeah. a lot of people might not know like what the actual details Absolutely. are. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I hope to do um, a mixed method study where I do both qualitative and quantitative mm -hmm. Um, where I'm going to be collecting some um, questions related to a questionnaire where I'm going to be asking study participants specific questions, uh, more of like a, about an understanding their day-to-day -day, um, and, and also through that process learning uh, what may be other priorities for them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where the qualitative piece comes for me. Um, but the quantitative side also is very important um, because there I'll be analyzing more of a self-report and, and then using whatever answers they provide to be able to 
to tell a story. Although sometimes telling a story by looking at those numbers usually don't tell the full story. So that's why I'm very interested in also having some of the narratives for my quali- uh, my qualitative piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think it's, it's very important to tell a, a full story rather than just telling a partial story. Yeah. So I imagine then, you know, like, like you said, that spending so much time with this resource center is like super mm-hmm. important for getting folks to feel comfortable answering your questions and like participating in this sort of study. Absolutely. Um, and I think also another important part of, of the whole process, I hope to build in um, an area where I will be disseminating this work um, to them, mm-hmm. where they will be, will have an opportunity to have a say um, and tell me if I said the story right or I didn't did them just justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and that's the type of researcher I am. Um, I think um, I'd like to make sure that my work mostly focuses on their experience, people's experience, um, rather than just, uh, just doing it for the publications. Yeah. Yeah. Where did this interest come from in sort of socially informed and socially cognizant, I guess, like medicine and public health? Um, for me, this all of this began um, from my lived experience as someone that grew up in in resource poor areas. Um, from the, the moment I arrived to the United States, I grew up in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, and the disinvestment in certain parts of the city, of New York City, um, are blatantly... Um, you can see them. Nobody, like you know, um, they're historically been there. Mm-hmm. So, having lived that experience myself, um, and adding a little bit more to the aftermath of like Hurricane Mitch when I was younger um, in Honduras, uh, my country was devastated by a Category Five hurricane, mm-hmm. um, where eighty percent of the infrastructure. Um, was destroyed by the the natural disaster. Wow. So this, and and 24, 20 plus years have passed after that hurricane and the country's still trying to like, you know, build those pieces. Yeah. Um, And imagine the the mental health, the emotional health toll that all of those things um, apply on the lives of, of individuals. And then adding the the, the geopolitical uh, hardships that happen. So I can't, I'm doing myself a disservice by just looking at, um, at health problems just from a myopic point of view, mm-hmm. rather than just looking at a lot of the social factors, the social determinants that do contribute to um, different shortcomings in, in marginalized populations. So, um, so that including all of those elements, like, you know, and adding my passion to it and, and as well as like, you know, my realistic mindset about like, you know, what it is that I can accomplish, um, as an individual, um, yeah, that I, I've conditioned myself to like, you know, um, 
to take on this not just by myself, but also have the entire community with me um, as we're solving everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I think that's where this how that's where this work becomes more special to me. It's when when you sit down um, in someone's living room um, and have a conversation about um, their day to day and what it is that they do to to cope um, and to move their families forward. And I will say that uh, an added value, an added benefit to to my work, uh, there's also um, an undercurrent of resilience that I am also trying to like also carve into looking at all of these factors um, and how people become more resilient despite um, the social factors uh, and as well as the political factors that that may exacerbate some issues in their life. Yeah. How do you see resiliency sort of playing in your life? Um, The way I see that resiliency is playing in my life is just going back to that story. um, When I moved to the U.S., as a 12-year-old me, like, you know, not knowing how to speak English at all, um, moving to a brand new country from a rural town uh, to a big metropolis um, like New York City. Yeah, I can imagine that was quite the, uh, <laughs> I think, honestly, moving even from, you know, small town U.S. to New York mm-hmm. City is like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a huge culture shock for me and and my family, but I didn't have to do it by myself. I am part of a big family. Like, you know, I have five brothers and one sister and, and including my parents, we have always relied on each other for support. Um, and I think they have been an essential piece to, um, resilience. Mm-hmm. So I can say that my family is a small prototype of what it is that I'm trying to recreate uh, when I do my research um, by just um, insisting to people that there's strength in numbers. Um, when everybody comes together, um, we're able to accomplish more and we're able to have even better outcomes for a better life. Mm. And then you also got a master's and also worked for a few years. Yeah. And I I don't know which one came first, Um, but I imagine that because you were at the CDC. Yeah. For So I, 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 I went straight from undergrad at Cornell to Columbia. And that's where I did a master's um, in health education. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a recurring theme of like, you know, my passion for health, education. I wanted to combine those, uh, those two things. Um, I ended up doing um, the master's that provided me some initial skills um, to be able to look at um, some of those behavioral aspects in, in healthcare and try and understand um, all of that stuff before uh, committing to 
to getting a much more advanced degree. Mm-hmm. Um, after I finished that that master's program, uh, um, I worked in New York City for a year at a home care company, um, a home care company that provided services to um, to children um, that need close monitoring, health monitoring by nurse and nursing nursing teams. So I was more, I wasn't on the clinical side of things. I was doing more of the operation things okay. uh, for that company. Um, but I then realized that I wanted um, other experiences. Um, and I sought out an opportunity to, to join um, the team at the Office of Health Equity within um, the Division of STD Prevention at CDC. And there I did a a fellowship uh, called the ORISE Fellowship uh, for four years. And I learned a great deal there um, from my colleagues there. Um, And that's where I began to do more of like the the highly technical things, providing technical assistance to like uh, project areas that that this team was responsible to, to work with. Um, and that experience solidified, um, my interest in coming back to school mm-hmm. to, to do a PhD, um, because I felt like I needed a little bit more training to be able to, to do that high levels, um, that high level, like, you know, data analysis type of thing, um, yeah, I could have taken courses, but no, I also wanted to, I love learning. Um, so that's why I just took it upon myself to like, you know, submit several applications and, and get back there, um, and learn as mm-hmm. much as I can, um, before going back soon. <laughs> yeah. So is your long-term hope to be a professor or are you thinking of going back to a position more like something you were doing at the CDC? Or something totally different. Um, the reason why I did the fellowship and in DC was to also explore other career options. Um, I Can you am, talk a little bit about the fellowship. You and I talked about it offline, but for the folks that didn't, absolutely. Get to hear that. So um, I did the Merzion, uh, the Christine Merzion Fellowship um, for Science and Technology uh, within the National Academies of Science. I'm in Washington, D.C., and that fellowship provides students with um, hands-on experience, uh, hands-on training on how to engage in in policy uh, conversations and also um, understand a little bit what the National Academies do to to shape science policy in, in the United States and also across the world. Um, so upon completing my PhD, I think I want to be able to, to have options. Um, that also includes teaching, um, as a faculty member. Um, so that's why I, I, I am trying to test out all of these options right now to see which of them are the most things that I'm, I gravitate more towards. Mm-hmm. And, and currently, um, I'm on the fence about like, you know, 
whether if I want to like, you know, have a, I want to like, you know, wear different hats. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I definitely want to keep my options open because I believe that um, anywhere I go, um, everybody, anyone will need a, a behavioral health scientist. So switching gears slightly, um, well, totally actually switching gears a bunch. (laughs) Um, when you look back on like everything that you've done so far, what are you most proud of? Um, I will say I am most proud of the community that has been able to like, you know, shelter me and provide me a space to learn in them. Um, And as well as like, you know, staying, staying true to myself and not compromising my values. Mm. Of course, there, there are often times opportunities where like, you know, you may not be right all the time so I'm very open, like, you know, and that's why I'm in, like, I'm a lifelong learner. Uh, and whatever you learn, you can also unlearn it. Mm. Uh, so just having that, like, you know, ability to to think about, um, to learn and unlearn things. Yeah. Do you have an example in mind of something, a scenario that happened with you where you had to unlearn something that you thought you I can, had a conception of? I could go specifically to a lesson, a lesson I had with an English teacher I had in high school. Um, he's a big time now professor um, of education now at uh, UC Berkeley. But like, you know, I remember one of his lessons where he talked about um, how we should decolonize our minds um, to be able to to have honest discussions about like, you know, history as history happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that from that moment for me, that lesson um, during my 10th grade English class uh, stuck with me for a very long time up until today uh, mm. to be able to to be able to like um, to stand by like, you know, the truth and reality um, and accept facts as they are mm-hmm. um yeah so you know as much as like you know we we are part of of a country with with a rich history but we also have to acknowledge a lot of the the work that we have done as a country to to like, you know, create more uh, of an equitable society for people. So, and I guess that's, that's still some work that we still need to like continue to work on to, 
to increase access and equitable access to, to resources mm-hmm. so people can achieve their highest potential. Yeah, I'm wondering how you think about sort of where the line is between how the United States can provide and promote equitable healthcare throughout the world versus sort of going to a new place and saying like, you need to do this the way that I want you to do this. And because I know the best, and this is the best way to do this. We don't have to go that far. Like, you know, um, here in the United States, we have communities that um, have been uh, historically under, under, underserved um, in healthcare and education. Um, And I think we need to do a lot better um, to be able to empower our fellow Americans um, to be able to create a space for them to realize their highest potential by getting them access to healthcare, education, clean water, um, and housing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. housing is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, that stability is extremely important for people to be able to to grow um, and realize their their dreams and their highest potential. And, and that is beneficial for everyone because they become productive members of our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're able to proudly wear uh, their Americanness um in and as well as like you know contribute to to the greatest ideals of what it means to be an american so and 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 i think that's the type of society that i believe in uh personally um where people have equitable access to to the resources that they need to um to elevate themselves and their families um because i know the power of education um, nobody can tell me about the power of education where I can just relate it in a story from what I heard. Uh, I am a beneficiary of getting access to really good education. So I've taken it upon myself also to, to reach back, mm-hmm. um, to be able to empower others um, with whatever little power that I have. How do you do that? Um, I've done it since I was in college, I think, even high school by mentoring um, the younger members of my communities. Um, You don't have to be billionaire or millionaire to make a change in your community. Um, you can make a change in your community by just having a a great conversation with a younger person about like, you know, what what they want to do with their future. Um, and by just providing a nugget of information for them to like, you know, oh, have you thought about this? Oh, have you thought about this other thing? Oh, so since you're passionate about this, why you should definitely consider looking at this other thought, like, you know, uh, what do you want to contribute to, to improving your country? Um, and, and I think that's how I see it. Um, I see it by, by just be, just 
just becoming uh, tell my story um, and and be an active member uh, that gives back um, to to those who seek out the advice and and as well as who to those who are willing to listen because I think I was in their shoes. I was the type of person that would ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. that I would just have conversations with people about their professional trajectories because I find it fascinating to hear about like, you know, what people had to go through to achieve what they had to achieve. Um, even though that may not work for you 100%, um, but you can use um, some of the wisdom that they may be able to offer during those conversations to um, to address some of the, the challenges that you face um, in your process. Yeah. So I have two questions following that, which mm -hmm. just like teed me up perfectly for these questions. <laughs> One question is, what sorts of challenges have you faced as you've been going through your career and your academic path so far? Um, as an English language learner, English is my third language. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I, I speak English very well, um, I think. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am actively working on my writing. Um, so yeah. that is something that has continues to be um, a challenge for me. Um, but, and I think through reading and now getting in more into podcasting, just hearing how people speak um, and as well as like, you know, um, being more intentional about reading the news. Um, some of the anxieties related to writing um, are beginning to dissipate or, or subside. <laughs> But it's a struggle. It's a struggle, Stephanie. And <laughs> but I don't let my struggles define me. Um, I define my struggles, and and I tell them that you will no longer be a struggle anymore. <laughs> oh, I love that. Wow. <laughs> I'm just gonna play that little audio clip whenever I'm feeling down. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will no longer be a struggle anymore. Um, <laughs> The second question that I had from that, which you sort of just touched upon a little bit, but I'm curious if you have other things to say is you said that, you know, that it's useful to learn from other people who have gone through similar paths as you or things that you might want to do and learn from their wisdom that they've accrued. So what sort of pieces of wisdom would you share with someone who's interested in pursuing a similar career to you or a career in STEM in general or in public health or government, anything that you think you can talk about? <laughs> Listen to advice, if, even though if they may not apply to you 100%, but just listening to the journey um, that it, it took for them to get to wherever they are, that in itself is it's, it's, it's lived experience of someone else that you can um, use your intelligence to, to carve a path for yourself um, there or being honest with yourself about um, acknowledging if something is hard and seeking out the help that you need um, is very important. 
um, because the goal is not for you to be perfect, but the goal for you is to contribute to advanced knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all we're doing in, in these institutions of, of learning is to advance knowledge. It's not for us to identify um, to discover something. But if you discover something in the process, that's so awesome. That's great. I kudos. Wonderful. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> and and that's why we're asking all these questions. And, that, and that's why we're in, in environments like this to be able to ask these types of questions and don't shy away from them and ask the hard questions and not ask the shortcuts questions. Hmm. But also, um, if you can answer the question through a shortcut, it's also good, you know. Why, why work like, you know, why work super hard when you can work very smart? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will say also, education isn't supposed to be stressful. It's supposed to be something that you, you enjoy um, to be able to, um, to contribute to to knowledge um, and and push it forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. I feel like you should go into education policy. <laughs> you have so many beautiful ideas about education that I think are so lovely. <laughs> oh, thank you. You know, I, I love policy. I love health policy. I love education policy. Yeah. Um, and and, and, and I know the value of those things um, in people's lives. And, mm-hmm. and I know um, I've been a, a, a huge beneficiary from um, wonderful mentors that I've had in the past to impart their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um, who have also been very intentional to, to help me learn how to pace myself when I'm in, in environments like um, highly intense educational environments. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I struggle with still to this day of, you know, it feels like everything is urgent, but it's just sort of my own Mm -hmm. conception of what's urgent. You know, nothing that I do is really that urgent. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) die if I don't like do my thing in lab, you know. Yes, yes. Um, Hey, like, you know, one thing I learned from my grandmother um, growing up, because I grew up with my grandma um, in Honduras before I moved to the U.S. And one of the things I really, really appreciated about her, it was that she, despite how perhaps a stressful situation may be, she will be smiling. And, and I remember usually asking her, um, Hey, this is very stressful. Why, why are you smiling? <laughs> and she would just be like, why stress? You know, if it's supposed to be for you, it's for you. If it's not for you, it's not for you. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen this, like, I don't know what it is, a meme, an infographic, I don't know, a thing where it's like, are you feeling stressed? And then it's like, yes. And then it's like, can you do something about it? And then if the answer is no, it's like, well, then don't stress about it. And if the answer is yes, and it's like, then do that thing. And then don't stress about it. And it's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, so. Done. 
yeah, it's it's a lot easier to like you know to just to say it. But also, um, it's also very important to to identify things that will help you um, achieve those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, like you know the way I I was able to like accomplish things during the during the pandemic was I was intentional about getting my physical activity um, to clear out my mind and create more space for other things. Um, And as well as like um, go to therapy, Mm -hmm. like, you know, to, because being in grad school is very difficult. Um, And, and it's a mental, it's a, it's a daily mental exercise. Um, So I think seeking out those those um, resources is extremely important for your well-being, um, and you know, I think we should create like a um, like a, a meme or a cartoon that, like you know, that symbolizes the strength that te- that therapy creates um, for individuals, not only in academia but also. Um, individuals from all walks of life. Um, and, and I think we should be normalizing that. Um, and, and yeah. And making it more affordable. And, and also making it more yeah. affordable. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree. Um, so one of the pieces of advice that you were just talking about is sort of like listening to people's stories and sort of learning lessons from the things that they've been through. And so I just want to make sure, is there any part of your story to where you've gotten now that we haven't touched on that you think is important for people to know about? Um, I think no matter where you find yourself, I think um, you find yourself in a rural place, you find yourself in a big metropolis um, because I have had those experiences, um, lived in a rural place, and then live in a big metropolis. Um, I think it's very important to to be intentional about um, reaching out to people. Um, the worst the worst answer you can get is no. <laughs> um, and and I think you're going to get a lot of no's before you get a yes. Um, so we have to normalize no's too. Like you know, that, that's that's very important. Um, part of growth uh failure is is i think it's more important than than just being successful at the things that you you're able to like you know to get Mm -hmm. Uh, because i will say that i've learned a lot more from um my shortcomings um, than on things that i found myself um successful in but um what i found myself some of the things that I've achieved, um, there's a process to get to that. Like, you know, you have to like, you know, cope with a lot of no's before you get to it. So every time you get a no is, is pretty much, uh, the way I conceptualize that is it's not a no yet. It's, it's not a yes yet. It's just like, you know, you have to work on this other thing <laughs> and reconsider submitting, like, you know, your application for consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, or ask yourself, if, is that the only way you can get to where you're going to go to? Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, is there other way that can get you there? Because like, you know, I think I've, 
throughout my life, the theme of my life is that I operate under uh, a famous expression that I grew up um, saying. Um, I don't know where I heard it first, but I think I heard it first when I was still in Honduras um, as a kid. That que no solo de una avenida se llega a Roma. Um, there is not only just one way to get to Rome. Um, mm. So there are multiple ways to get to like, you know, whatever goal that you're trying to achieve in, in your life. Um, when one door closes, um, a plenty of windows open up. And, and I think you should be shooting for the windows um, because there are multiple windows in the house and there are doors. So I'll leave you with that one. I like that metaphor. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was younger and I would go to like in college or whatever, and I would go to career panels. And I feel like panelists all the time say things along the lines of like, oh, it was serendipity. Like, uh, you know, I just like did this thing and then I just randomly ended up over here and it's not at all how I planned. And I remember being so frustrated listening to that in college and being like, what the heck, are you serious? And right. I think it goes sort of to what you were just talking about where like you might have a plan of like, okay, this is the next step. But then sometimes that plan doesn't work out. And so you have to go in through a window instead. And that window might take you into a different part of the house than where you were planning on going. And then mm -hmm. that will bring you in yeah, a different path. Isn't those snows that you, you go back to the drawing board and you go back and you like, re-strategize your, your next moves on what it is that you're going to do next to be able to, um, to achieve that goal that, of yours that you want to achieve. Yeah. Have you had a no like that that required you to do some re-strategizing? Oh, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> One that you're willing to share. <laughs> oh, goodness. I've gotten so many no's in my life, but, you know, but I've treated those no's as like, you know, you know what? I'm in control of my future. So like, you know, if this is something that I want to do, I'll make, I'll find the way. And that's where I reach out to people. And that's where I ask questions. And that's where I have those enriching conversations. And with those conversations, my worldview expands um, and, I, and, and more opportunities just like, you know, uh, present themselves because your initial strategy may have been very small in scope, but like, you know, after that, no, and, and you went back to the drawing board and asked all those questions, you identify ways to like, you know, to, to be even more successful mm. on your next try. Yeah. Um, a perfect example of that was, um, for me, uh, when I was, when I was applying for PhD programs, the first time I applied to PhD programs, I didn't get into any of the PhD programs that I applied to. Hmm. That was a huge blow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, that was a huge blow, but I used the next two years after that to just to have so many informational interviews with people. Hmm. Um, reached out to faculty members at different universities, um, asking them questions about their research, um, what types of um, questions were they asking currently? Um, and, and as well as like, um, also trying to understand if their work, their scope of work works well with my goals, my personal goals as well as a, 
as a researcher. Um, so, so yeah, like, you know, um, that in itself was very, um, it didn't, it didn't just happen. Uh, like, you know, I had to like go back to the drawing table and, and re-strategize mm-hmm. or just to achieve this goal. So I yeah. was very invested coming into a PhD to get it. So I am going to finish this PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Um, if folks listening wanted to get in touch with you, is there a good way they could do that? Either like so following you on social media or a website or email, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Um, I'm starting to get into like tweeting more. <laughs> uh, you can find me in my tweets. Um, and my Twitter is, my Twitter handle is N-A-R-A-U-Z 12. Cool. And, and I think we can continue to engage in these types of conversations there. Um, or even, yeah, like I think that's a, that's a really good place to like, you know, where I go for academic chats <laughs> and hear like, you know, what other people are um, saying about their experiences. And, and that's another place where you also learn about um, people's trajectory and, and strategize around those to, to make your experience even better. Mm-hmm. Great. I know I always aspire to use Twitter in like a more, just more in a more productive way, but also just more in general. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's so much options of like, you know, social media, like, but um, yeah, I think Twitter is a great place. And like, you know, I will accept emails, but I'm about to get into my full blown research (laughs) phase. We'll Um, stick with Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I want to stay as much, as much as possible away from emails right now. (laughs) Yeah, no, very fair, very fair. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And a big thanks to Nixon for being on the show. If you want to keep in touch with us and our guests, check us out on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Roots to Stem Pod, on Instagram at Roots to Stem Podcast. And you can also find us at our website, which is Roots to Stem Podcast.com. Or feel free to email us at Roots to Stem Podcast at gmail.com. And if you or someone you know would be a good fit for the show and has an interesting story about their career in STEM, please reach out to us and let us know. We're always looking for new people to have on the show, and we'd love to hear from you. We'll be back soon with another episode.